So there's like five bowls that are across the table. I'm pumped. Because again, like who doesn't love just downing as much ice cream as possible like really fast? And so there's four or five of us in a row. And, and, and we start, and I honestly, I, I just go ham. Like I'm devouring the bowl of ice cream. But I remember two thoughts pop in my head. Two very interesting, distinct thoughts. The first one was I was very surprised that I don't have a brain freeze at this point. Like, like halfway through the bowl of ice cream, my brain should be hurting. It's not. The second thing was, I thought this was vanilla ice cream, but it kind of tastes like butterscotch. So those are the first two thoughts that are popping in my head. But I literally down the whole bowl. I like set the thing on the table. I put my hands up in the air, and it's like Rocky Balboa music is going on. And I just like I feel like a champ. But then I turn around and I look, and like I'm the only one that ate the ice cream, and everybody just has this like look of horror on their face. I'm like, what? And our pastor comes up, and he's like, hey, guys, just want to let you know, um, we're actually talking about deception tonight. And that wasn't ice cream. That was a bowl of butter. <laughs> and I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, literally just, I downed an entire thing of butter. And my pastor was like, how does he not notice that? Like, the entire bowl is just gone. I felt so just like, a t- I, you know, just, oh, my gosh, I had to rethink my life decisions. But, like. It was a bummer. Um, and and the, the reason why I say that is, again, I mean, the focus uh, is this morning. It is on deception. It is on the enemy. It is the fact that the devil is a liar. So you guys are welcome that I'm not making you guys just eat a bowl of butter this morning. Um, you know, although some of you guys in the front row are like, hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but I would just say when it comes to the enemy, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is that we fail to recognize there is an enemy in our life. And, and, and he wants us unprepared and unaware. And so, again, his heart would be that he would want to actually, like, fade into the, into the backlight and not, even, and not even have us notice him. But at the same time, again, like, the fact that there is, that there is a heavenly father that wants to protect us, that wants to speak life, that wants to speak truth to us. But in the same context, there is also an enemy that wants to deceive us and wants to discourage us and wants to tear us down. And, and, and we, that is something that we must take notice of. That's something that we must be aware of. And, and, and not in a fearful way, but just in, a, in being aware. And so uh, John 8, 42 through 47, uh, I think it'll be on the screen too, but it says, Jesus told them, perfect, uh, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. And I am not here on my own, but he who sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear me. For you are children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. That when he lies, it is consistent with the character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. And again, as I said before, like the heart of our Father is He speaks life. He speaks truth. And so that's like, that's what we have to recognize. Like we understand that. But in the same way that like the devil is only capable of speaking lies. Like, like that's all that he knows. That's all that he wants. And that's all that he will continue to do. And so we need to understand which voices have authority in our life and which ones don't. That like, that's the question I have even encouraging you guys is what, what are you listening to? And what are you believing in? 
That, that like you need to know which voices to listen to, which voices to embrace, and which voices to disregard and to drown out, knowing that they have no authority in our life. And, and, and this is the way that we do that. There's only one way. We have to expose your life into the light so the enemy has nowhere to go. That the enemy is, he, he, he lives in darkness. That, 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 that the enemy cannot sustain in the light. He cannot live in the light. And so when we expose our life to the light, that's where, that's where God can cover us. God can surround us. But the enemy cannot live in that area. But the enemy's voice and his power grows stronger in our lives when we hide in darkness and we avoid embracing the light. And so when, we, when we're reclused in darkness and, and we're on our own and we're not opening up to that, that's where the enemy's voice has more power, has more authority, has more of a stronghold in our life. But again, when we expose our life and say, Jesus, this is all that we are, that's why, again, I love the Messy series, the idea of so often I think that we can find shame in our struggles or in our journey, but God wants us to, he wants to, he wants to embrace all of that. He wants all that we are. And so when, when, we, when we hide things from other people, when we hide things from the Lord, that's where the enemy's voice goes stronger. But when we expose things to him, then, then the enemy has nowhere to go, has no authority. That Ephesians 5, 7 through 14 says, Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and pure. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. Um, how many of you guys like like sci-fi movies? Like kind of that that type of genre. I'm huge on that. When football season ends, that's pretty much all I watch. I'm not going to lie. And so it's a little corny, but don't judge me. Um, but even thinking of the idea within a, within a vampire, that, that, that a vampire in the darkness has full strength, has, it's terrifying if the movie's done right, but, um, but it's dangerous, it's deadly. But again, like the moment light is exposed on it, it has to recluse. It has to go away. It, it literally will die in the light. And I say, like, not that, or not that the devil is a vampire. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, that would be bad theology. But, like, the idea that, that, again, like the devil hides and recluses in that darkness. And so when we willingly, like, enter into that, whether it's shame or whether it's not wanting to be transparent before our God, like, that's where he has authority. That's where he has dominion. That's where he can reign. But, again, when we, when, when we enter into the light and we let and, and we let Jesus cover us then that's where we can have freedom that first John 1 9 says but if we confess our sins to him he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness that God makes us a promise that when we expose ourselves to him he is faithful to cover us in love and grace that he does that every time that that when we're transparent when we're vulnerable when we're honest before the Lord he covers us he protects us and I would just say the other thing that we must remember is that the enemy is clever. Like, the enemy is often far more clever than we give him credit. And I think often at times that can be another downfall. That First Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That when you think about even 
and this is my animal nerd side coming out, but when you think about the, like the tactics that a lion will hunt its prey, in some contexts, it's almost similar to the way in which the enemy tries to attack us. That the idea within a lion, that they're incredibly fast, but they're good at hiding and they're patient. That they won't go after something when it's completely surrounded by the herd and it's the healthiest and it's at its full strength. That often at times it tries to isolate the wounded, the sick, the young, the old. Like it's clever within that, but it also hides. It's patient. It doesn't like waste an opportunity to strike. And I think often the other thing though is that what they go after, the antelopes, while they're fast, they're not mentally sprite. And they also don't learn from their mistakes. And so often at times, these antelopes are just oblivious to the environment around them. And so they'll, like, the lion will be like lurking in the grass. They won't see it. And then when they see it, it's almost like they're just stunned. And, and literally at that point, like they have no chance of getting away. There was even studies that showed um, that some of these gazelles were, like, being, being, were being hunted by lions. And, and they were gone. Yet over the next two hours, the same group of gazelles forgot what happened to their companions and tried again to go back to the same water source with the same result. And I think often at times, like, if we don't give the enemy enough credit in the idea that he's clever, he's crafty, he's patient, then we're literally like that antelope just, ball, like, foolishly entering into a spot in which, like, we have no business being in. And then when we enter down that road, like, we're, we're stuck and, and, and we're trapped. And so I would just say in the same way that, like, that we have to be mindful of the enemy. We have to be mindful of the attacks. We have to be mindful of the tactics that he has. And I would just say kind of even just going into, um, into this message, there's four, four points that I would just say in my own life even, I felt like some of the biggest lies the enemy has ever tried to convince me of. And I just want to combat that with the truth of Jesus. So the first point this morning is that the lie is that you are alone in your fears, your insecurities, and your struggles. But the truth is that you actually, you're not. You're surrounded by Jesus and the church, that you were never intended to do this walk alone. But again, that's where the enemy wants you to believe that lie. That's where the enemy wants to shame you. The enemy wants to make you feel like a freak if you struggle with something, that, that if you're wrestling through sin, that no one else in history has, has ever wrestled through that. That's a lie. That, 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 but again, when we're silent, that's the danger, that there's danger in believing you're alone. Because when you believe you're alone, it keeps you silent, and it keeps you, again, it keeps you hiding in darkness instead of exposing yourself into the light with, with Jesus, with accountability with other people. And I would just say I loved, so last summer camp, we've actually done it the, the last couple of years for junior high camp, the dudes, uh, when, when, when we would link arm in arm, and, 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 we, and we would walk into the freezing ocean. I mean, that was, that was, am I right? Was that brutally cold? Like from the dude? Yeah, yeah. And so we're literally, the idea of, of so for those who don't know, for, for, for summer camp, for the guys, we, uh, you know, we split into guy and girls. And so the guys were talking, and, and we, we do, we start to walk out to the ocean, and all of the guys link arm in arms. And so for like 10 to 15 minutes, we, we withstand the waves, we withstand the cold, we withstand all of this. And the idea of, of trying to do that on your own, and if I try to do that on my own, I'm getting washed into the shore, I'm still gone, you know, I ain't coming back. But the idea of then linking arm in arm, knowing that you encourage, 
you champion one another for it. I would just say, for me, it was really entertaining because on one shoulder was my dad and one shoulder was my brother. And my brother, I love to death. He is a stud, but he is a California boy at heart. And so he literally was like shaking. He thought he was going to die. Like he was, he was so cold. Um, and, and yet my dad on the other side was like, just like overly joyful. You know, he was like quoting Braveheart and Lord of the Rings. And I was like, dad, like calm down. You know, and so like he's like moving us forward. And my brother's like trying to kind of trying to shrink back. The reason why I say that, though, is even in the idea of, of walking with one another, of having that accountability, having that community, there are moments where you are going to need to encourage and champion someone else. That you are going to say, no, 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 like, like we've got this, like, 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 let's move forward. And then there are those moments where you yourself are going to feel discouraged, and you're going to need someone else to champion and move you forward. And so, again, this idea of community, it, it, it's, we need to be pouring in and equipping and encouraging and investing into people. But then at the same way, we need someone else to be encouraging, equipping, and pouring into us because that's what refuels our tank. Um, you know, in Acts chapter 4, it talks about Barnabas, uh, and his nickname was Son of Encouragement. And I I love that. I would just say, we need a Barnabas in our life who's encouraging, who's believing, who's equipping, and we need to be a Barnabas to someone else. So this idea of community, we don't walk through it alone, but again, and we find that there is so much strength in numbers. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if if another believer is overcome by sin, You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this this way obey the law of Christ. That if you think you are too important to help someone else, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. The idea that we, we come to serve, that, that we serve a God who showed us that ultimate example. And so in this life, we need to be bearing one another's burdens. We need to be encouraging one another. And I would say, again, like when it comes to combating the enemy, there is strength in numbers, that you were never intended to defeat him on your own, for you are incapable. I would say in the same way, I think foolishness can sometimes hinder us from recognizing the lies of the enemy. So can pride. I would say I, I have watched so many uh, action movies where, like, let's say one person runs out of bullets and it's like a gunfight and the other guy's like, fight me like a man, you know, and, and like calls out that like instinct, like pride thing where he's like, fine, throws down the gun, they fight hand in hand, and then he dies. I'm like, bro, you had a gun in your hand, you know, and like, has anyone watched Indiana Jones? Uh, that that kind of ages myself, but there's a scene where this guy has a whip and he's trying to fight Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford just pulls out his gun and just shoots the guy. Like there needs to be just more of that in the context of I feel like we have community, we have like like we have the truth of Jesus, we have all of these things going forward for us. Yet often at times the enemy wants to say, try to defeat me on your own. Like, we'll call out that, like, fight me like a man. We'll call out that, like, pride thing where our human nature is like, fine, I will try. And when we try to face the enemy on our own, we can't. Like, we actually can't take him on our own. And so, like, what, what God is saying is, like, God's like, here's the gun. Like, like, trying to equip, trying to strengthen. We have community. We have Jesus. We have the word. We have so many things going forward with us. Yet the enemy will say, fight me like a Like, we'll take that pride piece. And, and, and when we enter, if we let pride hinder it, where we try to face the enemy on our own, we will not make it. The second lie is that you are never enough. 
And the truth is that you are enough because of Jesus, not your works. That works justifying your value before Jesus was never the intention. That uh, ever since I was a little kid, one of the biggest dreams I had uh, was to play college football. That, 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 that I loved football, that it was, the, you know, I, I worked hard uh, on the field, the weight room, the classroom, all of that, because, again, that was one of the biggest dreams I had. And I remember, at like, like my, my senior year, um, you know, I'm talking with coaches and things, and I actually make it. My, my, my freshman year of college, I'm playing, um, you know, at this, at, 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 at this university, and I remember the first game is approaching. And, and, again, the idea of suiting up for a college football game was something I've been dreaming about for a long time. And yet, like, two days before the game, my coach calls me to his office. And a little, bit of, um, a little bit of kind of a backstory within that, we didn't have our own stadium. And so we would actually, like, share um, a different school stadium. And so a lot of the things like the chain gang, the ball boy, people on the sidelines making sure all this stuff is taken care of, we actually had to supply that ourselves. So we didn't have anybody for that. And so, so my coach calls me into his office. And instead of handing me a jersey, hands me a lime green vest and just is like, hey, like, like I need you to be a ball boy for this game. And I remember like in this moment, just to be honest, just the shame of like I had worked so hard to try to get to this spot. And yet like instead of suiting up in a uniform for my first game, I am a ball boy. And I remember this idea of I, I, I literally called my family and I actually like begged them not to come to the game. Like I was like, there, there's nothing to be proud of. Like, 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 like don't go. Um, like, like, I'm literally just, like, a ball boy on the sidelines. They have four-year-old kids that can, like, be ball boys, you know? And so, but again, like, the, I think the enemy was just, like, attacking me with this shame, this shame, this shame. And sure enough, the game starts, and I'm literally trying to, like, hide between all of, you know, like, like the offensive line. And just, you know, I'm, like, trying not to be seen, yet I'm wearing a lime green, like, vest. So good luck trying to hide. And yet, sure enough, my entire family's in the, in the stands cheering me on. And yet, it, you know, and again, even after the game, I felt kind of like just awkward and just timidly approaching. And yet, like, they embraced me, like, they loved me, they hugged me. It was the idea of, like, 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 you're, like you're our kid. You know, like, 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 it wasn't this, like, performance base that, like, justified my value. I didn't have to go out there and, you know, like, like, score three touchdowns for my family to be proud of me. They were proud of me just because I was their kid or I was their brother or whatever. And I would say in the same way, like, that's the heart that, like, Jesus has for you. Like, in the same way of, like, I think often at times we're like, I got to get all of my, like, stuff together. I got to, like, perform well enough. I got to make Jesus proud of me. Like, I got to, like, if I don't do this, then, and then again, that shame piece comes into the factor where we stand out to Jesus like we're wearing a lime green vest, but we're still trying to hide away from him because we're like, Jesus, don't see me like this. And I feel like the Lord is saying, like, I'm proud of you because you're my child. Like, like, you're my son, you're my daughter, like, 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 they're, like that's, that's, that's all that you need. Like, that's more than enough. Like, like, we didn't, like, we don't love God because we chose him first. He chose us first. And so the enemy wants to shame it because the enemy wants you to feel like you're not enough. You're not performing enough. You're not good enough in school. You're not good enough with this. You're not good enough with sports or your looks or whatever it might be. The enemy wants to shame saying you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. Yet the heart of the father this morning would say, like, like I love you because you're my child. Like, like, that is enough. That's all you need. And so the enemy wants us to fixate on our inadequacies, making us feel incomplete, when the only thing that actually makes us complete is the Father's love. So again, like, like we're not enough on our own, but we are enough because of the love that he has for us. 
that I think often at times to our insecurity can fuel us into an overdose of performance. Again, that we feel like we have to cover up our flaws by performing, by performing enough, so then Jesus will be proud of me. Yet at the same time, when we use works to prove our self-worth and value, we're actually living a life that diminishes the need of the cross. Because it takes all of the focus away from Jesus and the cross, and it puts all of the focus on ourself, which is the way that it was never intended to be. This, uh, this quote by, by C.S. Lewis, it's, it's in the book Screwtape Letters, but it says, By this method, thousands of humans have been brought to think that humility means pretty women trying to believe they're ugly, and clever men trying to believe they're fools. And since what they are trying to believe may, in some cases, be manifest nonsense, they cannot succeed in believing it, and we have the chance of keeping their minds endlessly revolving on themselves in an effort to achieve the impossible. That humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. That when we criticize our flaws, thinking we are a mistake, we are questioning and criticizing a perfect God's creation in which he made no mistakes. That Psalms 139, 13-14 says, You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. That the purpose of confidence is to equip you. And again, that's where the enemy wants to say, like, you're... Like you're not enough, that pointing at the flaws, yet again, when we think we're a mistake, we're criticizing a perfect God's creation. And that's what the enemy wants for us, but to actually understand the beauty and the worth within ourselves is not pride, it's understanding our calling and it's having confidence in the creation that we are. That Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. In the same way, when we understand our calling, when we understand that, that we have confidence in that, that's what equips us to be as bold as we can be. That that's what the Lord wants for us, and that's what the enemy doesn't want. The enemy doesn't want us confident in our calling. The enemy doesn't want us like secure in who we are, because when we're, when we're secure in who we are, and when we're confident, we can, we, that's a nightmare for the enemy. That Matthew 6, 18 through 19 says, Now I will say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom, that whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That Jesus is handing you the keys to the kingdom, but you will not utilize them to their true power until you accept with boldness the calling that God has on your life. That a lack of confidence will hinder your, hinder your full potential. And again, that is where the enemy wants you. That the lie, number three, the lie that that might be so true for someone else, but not me. And I would just say that the truth is that Jesus sees you and he's calling you. How many of you guys have older brothers or sisters? Yeah, for me, that was a big one. My, my older brother was, I mean, he's a stud. He was like ASB president, was captain of the football team, was, was all of this and all of that. And I had so many people that, that wanted to be my friend just because I knew Caleb. <laughs> and I think often at times when we have an older brother or an older sibling or a parent, um, that, that is incredible. Often at times it can make us almost feel overshadowed. 
and the idea of the fear is that we have big shoes to fill. But, like, that's actually a lie from the enemy is saying, like, you have to fill those shoes. That, that the truth that Jesus is saying, like, you have your own calling, you have your own gifting, you have your own equipping. And I think often we can feel overshadowed by someone else, and that leaves us playing the comparison game. And comparison will kill your contentment. And so often I think we're stuck seeing, like, Jesus, well, I can see that for them. Like, like they're amazing, but, but not me. And yet, like Jesus, like he sees you, he recognizes you, and he wants to call and equip you. But again, the lie that the enemy wants you to believe is that you're invisible before God. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That in 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel was told to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he comes to Jesse's house, a man who has seven sons. He actually has eight, but seven that are, that are there. And, and he sees the oldest son, Eliab, and thinks, like, this must be the one. Like, he was, he was tall in stature. He was good looking. He was, like, when you think of a king, like, that, like, that's what it looked like. And yet the Lord says this to Samuel. He says, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So down the line, Samuel goes... <laughs> through all of these sons, until there, there, there is just, there's no one left. And so Samuel's like, like is, there, is there anyone else? And, and so Jesse says, yeah, like there is still one, he's the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. And that David, that's the man who Samuel anoints to become king of Israel, and that's David, a man after God's own heart. But, but whether it was in the fields or the throne, God saw David. And I, and I think often the lie that we can believe is that we can relate so much more to David, the shepherd forgotten in the fields, than instead of the king. And I think that, 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 that God has such a powerful calling in our lives, but feeling unqualified or disqualified will get in the way of believing all that God has for you. Even thinking about the New Testament when Jesus calls his 12 disciples, think about who we went after. He went after fishermen. He went after tax collectors that were hated by the community. He went after all of the people that were not the intellectual elites, that were not the people, all of what like you would think of societal misfits, people that probably had no business expanding the kingdom of God by the way that outward men would be thinking, yet God called them to that. Paul, a man who wrote so much of the New Testament, beforehand was persecuting Christians. That there is a constant pattern in the Bible of God calling men and women in society who were deemed unworthy to actually spread the gospel further than anyone could ever have imagined. And so the enemy wants you stuck in a place of feeling like, I'm not good enough to be used by God. I'm not good enough to be equipped and called for his purpose. Yet God is saying, like, like look who I called. Like, like it's, it's not like what society thinks are like the good. It's like the idea of if you have a willing and an open heart, I can use you for incredible things. And so the enemy wants you to miss out and, and think that you're not worthy of it. Yet instead, Jesus is saying, like, like, let's embark on this journey together. That he is calling you, not just the person next to you that appears to have more of their life together, but, he, but, but he's calling you. He isn't after your perfection, but rather a willing heart ready to embark on an incredible journey. And, and, and number four, the, the last the last lie is that you have more time. There's no rush to pursuing Jesus. You have your whole life ahead of you. 
The truth is that this thinking leaves you lazy, passive, and missing out on your actual calling. Um, don't judge me. This was a long, long time ago. I promise this wasn't recent. Um, this is a little bit of an embarrassing story. But <laughs> we, were, we were out on vacation, and we were working out. Like, my dad, like, we would go on vacation, and my dad was like, well, you're going to run wind sprints. I was like, Dad, I don't think you understand vacation. Like, <laughs> like I don't think this is actually, like, like, what you want. And so we're literally, like, we're out on a track running. And at this point, like, I kind of have to pee. Like, it's, it, it's bad, you know. Like, it's not great. But I tell myself, I have more time. I have more time. I'm fine. And then it's like, I, I really have to pee. And yet, like, I, so at this point, I'm, like, running. I'm trying to find all of the doors. I'm trying to find the school. Everything is locked. At this point, I'm like, I have... I mean, I might have a little more time, but, like, I really got to find something. I constantly could not find anything until, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I, I peed my pants. And then I'm, like, trying to walk back to my dad. and my, Like, I'm, like, dragging the sweatshirt over like this. Like, hey, can we go? Like, I don't want to be here anymore. You know, and they're like, what's wrong with you? The reason why I tell, you know, that I, that I peed myself, because that's, that's rough. That's embarrassing. The point is, like, at first I didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, I, I have more time. And then you push it back. You delay it. You're like, no, 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 I, I have more time. Like, I'm fine. You know, and then until everything literally and metaphorically explodes. And, like, you actually don't have more time. Like, you're done. But I think the enemy wants us to believe a lie that we constantly have more time. Like, there's no rush. Like, why do that now? You can do that later. Like, 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 like I don't need to get to that in this moment. And, and, again, when we live a life that's constantly procrastinating, constantly delaying the things that God might have for us, then we're actually missing out on the moment. That again, one of uh, C.S. Lewis's quote, he said, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without, without signposts. That a lazy and an unprepared heart will lead you missing out on the good things in store of you. That they will only have regrets to come. And I would just say, again, pushing things off will, 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 will distract us from the things right in front of our face. That uh, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, I, I just simply said, all we have to decide on is what to do with the time that is given to us. That we have a privilege and a responsibility to steward the very thing that God put in front of us. And we're constantly living a lifestyle that says, I don't need to do that now, I can do that later. Like, I don't need to, like, I don't need to read my Bible now, I can do that later. I don't need to worship Jesus now, I can do that later. I don't need to witness to my friends now, I can do that later. And what you're doing is you're missing out on the very things that God has right in front of you. That the enemy wants to distract you, and the enemy wants to, like, take you away from your true calling. The, 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 the last verse that I'm, that I'm going to read before we're done is, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. And it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, death, where is your victory? Kind of switch For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That the spoiler alert, guys, the enemy's already been defeated. And I would just say that the enemy only has as much power as you give him. That the cross and the resurrection means that the enemy has been crushed and that we get to claim victory in Jesus. So again, like my heart as we move forward isn't like not, not to, to have us fearful, but to have us confident in the love and grace of Jesus that covers us knowing that the enemy has no real authority in our lives. Uh, let, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that 
that, that death has no sting. God, we thank you that the enemy has been defeated. God, we thank you that we get to claim victory, we get to claim authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And so my heart and my prayer this morning is that we would be mindful of the tactics of the enemy so that we can live the way that God intended. So God, as we move forward, would you again, would you remind us of our confidence, of our worth, of our value? And would we be, would we be smart understanding and recognizing that there is an enemy in our lives, but that, that, that he does not withstand a chance compared to you? So Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we praise you in your name. Amen.